I remember when Dick Mata was the coach of the Mavericks years ago, they, uh, a guy after the, uh, after the game said, well, you missed a lot of shots out there tonight, coach. He goes, I didn't miss any shots. I didn't take any shots. So the coach's job is to get you in the right position with the right frame of mind and the confidence to take the shot. Because I've never seen a coach run out on the floor and grab the ball and shoot it. It just doesn't happen. It's not the way it works. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Throughout my HR and entrepreneurial journey, I've benefited from great mentors, and great coaches. My guest today has played both roles in my life, and I'm honored to have him on the show today. Brad Smith is in his fifth decade in the HR arena. After serving as a general badass in the U.S. Air Force Intelligence Service during the Vietnam era, he spent a career leading people in a wide variety of industries. He was a longtime senior consultant with Drake Beam Morin, DBM, which is where we first met almost 30 years ago. The years have been kinder to me than to him. Today, he assists executives in transition and more relevant to our conversation today, coaches executives who have career impacting development needs. Thanks for joining me today, Brad. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you, Michael. You may not remember this, but when we first met back in the mid 90s, I was a wet-behind-the-ears HR guy, and you were already a grizzled veteran in HR, working with companies to conduct uh, layoffs professionally and compassionately. And you were also then, too, working with executives who were in uh, transition to their next position. But you said something to me way back then that has stuck with me for you know close to 30 years. You said... And, and you know, it's not, you're not the only person to ever say it, but you're the one who said it in a way I, I would hear it. People won't remember what you say to them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And I got to say that's impacted how I've treated employees, uh, treated people in adversarial situations, treated people who I really cared about. Talk a little bit about what that phrase means and why you think it's so impactful uh, on narcissists like me. <laughs> well, I think it's impactful for everybody, and uh, and uh, it, it's been said, it's not been said by me, but uh, that our success is based on 5% on our education, 15% on our uh, experience, and 80% on how we communicate, okay? And in order to be see anybody, an organization or a individual, to be seen as a l- good leader, you first have to be seen as a good communicator. In order to be seen as a good communicator, you have to 
be a good listener. And in order to be a good listener, you have to listen to understand and not to reply. And most people listen to reply. Listening to understand sounds simple, but it isn't. It's difficult and it's difficult to be, get that in your discipline of communication. Because like you said, it's not what you say, it's only what the person sitting across the table or the group in the meeting hear. And the, the more you communicate by understanding, listening to understand, the better you'll make them feel. So that's kind of the backstory and how I arrived at that. I think, uh, I think Maya, Maya Angelou said it before I did. Uh, she's got a little more street cred than I do. But it was one of those things that, and when you're a coach, you live in the world of sound bites, right? Um, and it's because if you want to amplify your message, you simplify it. And uh, communicating to understand makes people feel like they are part of the conversation. Because if you listen to understand, your, your response, not your reply, but your response is, uh, is another question, which, which uh, elicits a conversation. If you listen to reply, you have a debate. Now, that's the science. The art is how do you ask the question? Because if you don't ask it properly, it'll come off as an accusation. And that's not good. So what I school my clients on is to remember that it's not what you say, it's only what people hear. So when they go into a meeting, any meeting with their boss, with the person that works for them, with their spouse, with their spouse, you can capitalize that, um, it's what do you want, what do you want to get out of this meeting and what do you want the person to hear or the group to hear? Uh, and if you want the conversation, it's always good to have three baseline questions to, uh, to put on the table and not all at once, but what you want is a conversation. I'll give you an example. When back in the day when I was, uh, having a meeting with a, a prospect to talk about coaching, uh, I had three questions I asked. Uh, first question is how are you evaluating your leaders? The second question is what are some common things you're seeing? And the third is what, what do your develop, development plans look like? Now, I didn't ask those all three. I asked one and we had like a 15 or 20 minute conversation, then the other one and, and so forth and so on. Because what you want is the conversation because opportunities begin with conversations. And um, that's kind of that's kind of how I look at and And a lot of people that I work with, 
are especially the career impact. And I want to define that real quick. Career impact is uh, the individual is brilliant in what in the technical or the function, whatever their whatever their position is, but they're rough on the furniture. They don't communicate well. They don't understand uh, the dynamics of a conversation. And uh, my job is to get them to look in a mirror and not through a window. Anybody can look through a window. It's a special, special kind of person to look in a mirror. And, um, and it's, you see that a lot in healthcare because healthcare promotes their best clinicians, any industry that engineering, accounting, finance, right. Um, and, uh, where the soft skills are, are absent. They have the hard skills where the soft skills are the hard skills anymore. And as most companies are going to a softer culture. Some people just, you know, they go against the grain. They're, they're out there where the buses don't run. And, uh, it's my job to have them look at the world a little differently. Now, the other kind are the development, uh, pieces, which we want to keep this person. They're very good at what they do. Here's, here's a couple development needs to get them to the next level. So it's also a way to make your good people better. That's what you said. You said a minute ago, anyone can look out a window, but, but it takes a special kind of person to look in the mirror. Yeah. That's so profound. Uh, tell me what you mean. <laughs> it's, it, that's, that's such a good term. Well, I mean, most people can tell you what's wrong with everybody else, but they don't know what's wrong with them or they won't admit it. Right. So on the beginning, we have to we have to create a structure where they can look in a mirror. Maybe they're dragged to the mirror. I really don't care how they get there. But basically, um, I talk to anywhere from 20 to 25 people. I do what I call a soft 360. Okay, because I want to hear... Not only what the people say, the person, the individual says, I want to understand how he says it. And to make sure that it's not a one-off individual issue, okay? Like one guy said that my client was a horse's backside. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Why is that? He goes, because he parks in my parking space. Well, that's irrelevant. I mean, you, you deal with that, okay? Um, and then I, I give it to the client issue. This may take two or three weeks to do based on schedules and whatnot. Uh, and once I'm finished, I present that to the client and he and I, or she and I are the only ones that see it. And from that, plus a couple other assessments, a communication assessment that we do, we, I build the development plan around that. And I have specific coaching goals. Those coaching goals and that development plan is shared with the stakeholder. And because they need to see a return on their investment. A lot of coaches go behind closed doors and they come out in six months and say, okay, the guy's cured. 
you have to involve the stakeholders and the people that are writing the checks from a business perspective. And so, and then what we do is after three months, we do a quick check-in. I share the, the coaching goals with the Raiders and I pick, I don't hit them all. I pick about, you know, maybe two thirds, maybe a half. Uh, and uh, I say, okay, here's how's she doing. Give, help, help me understand how she's doing. And that I share with the company. And um, I look at the development, I look at the coaching goals and I ask the individual, I'm getting way off subject here, but I ask the individual to rate themselves on, and usually there's four, maybe five, but mostly three or four. Um, and I ask them right now, take a snapshot of all the information you've received. How would you grade yourself if this was a college course? And they grade themselves. And then we figure out a grade point. And, um, and then we do the same thing in three months. And then we do the same thing at the end. And then I give them an evaluation to fill out on me. Uh, and I tell them, I don't want to see it until you give it to your boss. Or you give it to the president or the senior HR person. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to touch it. You say what you want. I mean, I've got a standard form. You can make up your own. I don't really care. Um, you can send it to me at the same time, <clears throat> but don't send it to me before. I don't think that's right. So, I mean, we've all heard the, the old term, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And all the behavioral science that I've looked at says we are pretty much the person we're going to be by the time we're 13, 14, 15. So, how do you get that person? I mean, you know, like you mentioned, I came out of healthcare and we screwed up every time because we take the best nurse right. and make her a nurse manager. Right. Uh, and, um, but, you know, certain people, and what makes a great ER or trauma nurse is the exact opposite of what you usually want in somebody managing someone else. That's um, exactly right. So, but what can you do? How do you change somebody's, behavior, I mean, do they, you know, when a company comes to you and says, Hey, we've got this high potential engineer or architect or whatever that we want to grow in the company. We don't want to lose them. They're going to, you know, we know they'll go someplace else, but like you said, they're rough on the furniture. They, you know, they, you know, they're a bull in a China shop. How do you get that person to the point where they're willing to be self-aware and make the, make those hard behavioral changes? <clears throat> Sometimes you can't. Uh, when I am approached with a situation like that, uh, my question is, is this a behavioral issue or is this a coaching opportunity? So I look at what we call amplifiers and dampers. Amplifiers are low-hanging fruit where you can do a little bit of work and achieve good results. Dampers are you can work whole lifetime and it's not going to happen because it's it's in their dna the other thing i've noticed when it's a when it's a career impact is is the individual improves while we're together 
And then once I leave the picture, they revert back. So there, we put steps in place where they check in with me. I mean, I usually meet with them once a week, twice on the phone, on the off weeks, and and then in in face to face. Um, and after it's over, and some are for six months. Most of all of them are for six months. Some go into a year. Uh, not not really that many. But career impacts is is career impact assignments are, are very uh, challenging, and the fact that you pretty much have to hit them between the eyes with a two by four because nobody else has. I remember one guy, I sat in his office and he said, "You know, I'm very direct." I said, "Yeah, people have told me that about me too." Um, I said, I, I'm, I, I'm fine with you being direct. My question to you is, can you take it as well as you dish it out? Most people can't. And he said, try me. I said, your people don't like working for you. He said, well, I know where that came from. That came from one guy. I said, no, no, it didn't. Trust me. It was collective opinion that uh, you're the star of every conversation. You're the star of whatever movie is playing in your head at that particular time. But career-wise, if you want a metaphor, it's like a drunk chasing a balloon next to a cliff. You better get it together. And I'm here to help you. Okay? I mean, it's that that's a consensus of conversations, but it, I have had those conversations. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 40 and enter the keyword BRAD, that's B-R-A-D. On April 14th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Drug-Free Workplaces in an Increasingly Tolerant and Stoned Society. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after April 14th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. Now back to my conversation with Brad Smith. What are the circumstances that normally, if, that a company, you know, when they get to the point where they realize this person may benefit from some coaching, what 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 are the you know if, if, what would a what does a leader say? Okay, yeah, the levers at the point, the needles at the point where we need to get this guy some help, or he, we need to exit him. What what do those what does that look like? Where where are they tip when they reach out to you? Where are they typically in that in their relationship with that employee? Well, um, it's most of them are not about exits. 
I mean, I've had conversations with some companies that said, you know, this person sued their previous employer when they were terminated and we want to do this so we could, we, if we have to go to court, we can show it. I said, I'm not interested. Find somebody else. But here's the fee. I don't care. I mean, and it, first of all, I didn't think it was right. Second of all, from a business perspective, I want all your business. I just don't want one one drink at the fountain, right? Uh, <clears throat> I, I believe, and I've said this to I don't know how many people, when you are considering coaching for anybody, there needs there's five boxes that need to be checked, and they all need to be checked. Yes, this doesn't. This is a pass fail deal. Okay, the first one is: <clears throat> is there a clear development need? Usually is, or I wouldn't be in the conversation. Um, is the per- person worth the investment? Because if you're thinking of it as an expense, don't spend the money. Okay. The third one is, are they, and very important is, are they motivated to change? Because if they're not motivated to change, they'll make a difference what you do. They're not going to change. Um, the, uh, do they have the support of the organization and are they coachable? I found people that have played inner uh, sports, especially team sports in their history, understand what a coach does. You know, um, I remember when Dick Mata was the coach of the Mavericks years ago, they, uh, a guy after the, uh, after the game said, well, you missed a lot of shots out there tonight, coach. He goes, I didn't miss any shots. I didn't take any shots. So the coach's job is to get you in the right position with the right frame of mind and the confidence to take the shot. Because I've never seen a coach run out on the floor and grab the ball and shoot it. It just doesn't happen. It's not the way it works. Um, Coaches are paid to ask questions. Because coaching is the belief that the answer lies within. And if I tell you what to do and you do it and you fail, it's not your fault. It's my fault. So it's about asking good business protocol questions and uh, getting them to look in a mirror. And looking in a mirror is hard. The best clients I've ever had are people that are understand, look in a mirror, and make an effort to get to that next level or or change. And, you know, I, I remember way back when I was in school. I mean, that was when school was brand new. I get it. But, <clears throat> but there was a big difference between the lecture hall and the lab. Some people can sit in a lecture hall, absorb the information, regurgitated on a test. You get them in the lab, they're like a day old duck. They have no, but they have, they don't know what to do. So it's about the lab. You mentioned those five things and two of them jumped out. Cause I know 
short of bringing in an outside coach, a lot of HR leaders and small business owners are in positions where they, they have somebody who they need to work with and have to coach themselves. I mean, you know, just as part of being that person's leader. Uh, but you, you mentioned uh, they have to be motivated to change. And, you know, and maybe, you know, you know, is, is the, the risk or the fear of losing their position, is that motivation enough? Is fear a motivation? Or what kind of motivation do you see that really makes a difference in people? Well, there's only, there's only two kinds. There's the carrot and there's a stick. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I don't believe in the stick. Now, if it's the stick, if it is, if that's the way it's communicated to them, and I coach the company on how to approach these people on how to make this, have this conversation, right? It, it can't be punitive. That's not going to go anywhere. Um, the stick is right in front of them. So there's only two ways you can sell something. You either point out the benefits or the implications, right? I prefer the benefits. Although the benefits are long-term, the implications are short-term. So it's, it should be, you know, you're, you're a valuable employee. You're making money for this company. We want you to stick around. We see a few development needs. We're bringing in an expert to help you. Yeah, and I think you see that, that stick a lot. When somebody gets a bad performance review, absolutely, and or their manager sits down and says, "Hey, you know, this is your last and final. You got to get your act together." And performance improves right. for a while. three weeks, six yeah. weeks, a month yeah. or two. Yeah. But but uh, as soon as, especially if, if you've got one of the ridiculous performance management policies that I hate that say, you know, you you know, we've got a thirty day warning, and after thirty days or sixty days or ninety days, the slate's clean. And then they can go back to their bad behavior and they get another 120 or, or you it's know, a cycle. Or days. Yeah, right. it's a cycle. And so the stick doesn't work. You've got to engage the employees. And I think that's what we're hearing a lot about in this post-pandemic workforce, post-pandemic, knock on wood, uh, workforce where people want to, to feel like they've, they've got jobs that are meaningful and that they bring value to and and have purpose in, in, in getting up and going every day. So... The other question that jumped out at me is when you said, are they coachable? How do you determine that? Uh, because, you know, <clears> well, it depends. It depends on the engagement. Um, I asked the company that are they coachable? And typically the answer is yes, I think they are. OK. And then when I meet with them, sometimes uh, I meet with them with the caveat that uh, this guy's worth the investment or he's not. I remember I walked into one senior executive and I gave him my card and he pushed it across the table and he said, what can someone like you do for someone like me? And I said, right now, not a damn thing. You need to think about this. This dog won't hunt with your attitude. Um, and I walked back to the VP HR office. He goes, well, that took a, didn't take as long as I thought it was, but I'm not surprised. I said, no, the, the, I'm not the guy. 
And I, I learned that a long time ago from our master coach at DBM. We were sitting with a group of people and they, they wanted, they wanted to bring a coach in for this fellow. <clears throat> and I remember the coach looked at him and said, if this was after an hour and a half conversation, he said, is this, if this is what you want, I'm your guy. If this is what you want, I'm not your guy. And that was a huge aha moment for me. Uh, because as a business person, if you think about the money, you'll lose. You have to think about the relationship. And is this going to be a successful relationship? Can you work with this guy or this woman? And this isn't gender specific, so forgive me for that. But um, that, so I'll meet with them and, and, and just talk to them about maybe a phone call, I don't know, or a Zoom meeting. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And uh, I've been doing this long enough that I can get a sense for, is this going to be worth the investment? Um, and sometimes those conversations are hard conversations, but because I am someone from outside the company, I can pretty much say whatever I want. And, um, they can, they can be very raw. But down the road, they're beneficial. Because I've had a lot of people say, you know, I remember the first time I met you. That was a tough conversation. I said, well, you need to hear it. And I, you know, I've always been a hire hard, fire easy proponent. Right. Um, and I think, you know, we... It goes back to the nurse, nurse who, you know, you turn into a nurse manager, you, you know, that was, that's the company's fault. That's not that nurse's fault. Right. Uh, and, um, but once they're in that role, I've always been a big advocate. Okay. First of all, do they have the competency to do the, to do the job? And, and if they don't have the competency and it's not going to, and they don't have the cognitive ability to develop the competencies that are required for the job, let's do them a favor and us a favor and move on. Yeah. Yeah. But if, and if it's, yeah. and there's times where it's behavioral, but the behavior is, um, uh, it's something that you can change. It's something they can learn. Well, and it, it may be due to another stressor in their life too. Sure. You know, where they have no safe haven, they're got chaos at work, they got chaos at home, and it, everything spills over into one another. So, yeah, you got to figure out that. And again, um, that goes back to is the person worth the investment because coaching is a component in leadership development. It's not the end all in leadership development. Leadership development is up to the individual to take a proactive approach. It's up to the organization to provide a framework so they can do that. What I've seen is that some companies get so enamored with the coaching process that they think it's an answer to everything. And it's not. You don't want to spend money on someone who is not coachable. Um, I remember 
my my boss at DBM said, you know, is this per-, we were talking about someone internally. She goes, is this person worth saving? And I said, yeah, I think she is. Let me work with her. Didn't work out. She just, you know, it's in their DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of people on the exit process say, this person, he's a great guy, just a wonderful man, but he's not there to get us to the next level. The position is passing by. You know, I get, I get, a, I get a lot of that mm-hmm. or bad chemistry. Um, sometimes I end up coaching the boss as well as the client, you know, kind of, uh, not directly, but Mm -hmm. I have conversations. And so have you thought about this, you know, that sort of thing, but, and, and this is an expensive process, regardless of whether somebody hires, you know, Brad Smith to come in and do it or as a manager, or as a leader in the organization, as the owner of the company, I'm spending my people's time or my time trying to develop some right. to the right. where I need them to be to be successful and to move the, the organization forward. How do you measure that ROI? How do I determine whether this is worth the cost? Um, well, it's, I think it's first determined by the value of the individual. Because especially with an executive, who's responsible for a lot of revenue uh, or, or uh, operations or whatever, if, if that person can improve 5%, then all that trickles down to the bottom line. So, and I'll ask the company that. I said, what, what is, what's this guy's value proposition? Does he make you money? Or is he just a pain, right? I mean, if he's a pain, why do you want to invest in him? Um, it, there's a lot of work on upfront with the organization to say, um, is this person worth, again, is, it, is he worth the investment? Because I'm going to be working with you for six months at least. And um, it's, you know, uh, Companies don't spend money on bad stuff. And if they do, they don't do it for long, right? Um, And it's not cheap. And it needs to be uh, used for the best and the brightest. Um, And, uh, I mean, I'm the first guy to say, you know, this isn't going to work. You need to, you need to do other stuff. And I don't want to ever be accused of, uh, uh, building up business for my transition practice, which I don't do very much anymore. Most of it's executive, well, all of it's executive coaching now. Um, but as a matter of fee and, and the matter of the business of coaching, you know, coaching in reality is a compassionate business because you're you're an advocate advocate for your client. You're his or her accountability partner. Um, but it is a business, and um, if you are a company, 
and you are interested in the lowest co lowest cost provider, then we're not we're not for you. I, like you, Michael. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It is. Um, anybody can buy your business. The our issue is to service provide you the service once you buy it from us. Exactly. Because <clears throat> the low prices, the the service is remembered a lot longer than the low prices for forgotten after the low prices yeah. forgotten. So I think it, our fees are market. Mm -hmm. um, anybody can argue with that. I get that, but um, my kind of rule is number one: um, we we charge a fair fee, and um, um, we 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 we're not going to buy your business. Um, we don't believe in that. Well, and I think the thing is, even if. I think a lot of, even if the coaching is being done internal by HR or by their manager, supervisor, somebody in, you know, leader in the organization, too often, even in those scenarios, they're trying to go cheap. You know, they don't want to invest the amount of time it's going to take. This leader, like you said, this is a six month engagement, maybe longer. Right, right. But we, you know, managers often want to, we want to address this behavior issue once and you get it and we're moving on. And then they don't want. They wonder why their coaching and their efforts aren't paying off long term, and this person doesn't get better. But you know, we're rewiring somebody's brain, at least as far as they how they view their world at work, and it takes a long time. It takes and, a while, yeah. And going that cheap route by uh, making it a okay, well, we're gonna you know we'll follow up in ninety days. That's not that's not no, the kind of coaching that's going to work. Rarely does that work. And executives don't like to be coached by by peers, yeah, by, or people down the organizational chart. Sure, yeah, right. I mean, it just it, it it doesn't work. And I make sure that my clients understand that they can call me anytime if they're going into a meeting and they want my take on the situation. And I always also tell them, don't call me after the meeting because my advice is worthless after after the thing happens. But if it's, you can call me anytime. You can call me three in the morning. You won't get my best, but I'll answer the phone. It's right by my bed. Um, and I want to make sure that if I can help them and prevent them from losing sleep over something, if I can help in any way, then I want to know what it is. So, I like to be accessible. They nobody has ever abused it, but I do get calls out of the blue. Hey, look, I got an issue. What do you think? Okay. Well, and that's the reason my cell phone number is on our business card. Yeah, I mean, mine is too. Every, yeah, any client, every client has my cell, and because I've got an amazing team, they never have to use it. And yeah. so that's the great thing. Yeah. Well, that's really that's all the time we've got. This this flew by, but I really appreciate you joining me today, Brad. And thank you for everything you you've done for me over the years. I just got to say it publicly. Oh, uh, I'll be you in are. your debt forever. You're, you're easy. 
Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> Tell your friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guest at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.